Welcome to The Fibre Frontier, a podcast for the mohair and cashmere industries of Australia. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson. I started farming goats over 30 years ago with my brother, Tim, and since then, they've had various roles in the industry. This podcast is supported by AgriFutures and the goat fibre producers of Australia. Our focus here is to tell the great stories of all those dedicated people involved in the industry and inspire new people to enter the industry. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome back to the Fibre Futures podcast. Good day today to be introducing uh, my brother to the podcast, Tim Ferguson. Welcome, Tim. Uh, thanks, Mark. Uh, we started this the game back in '89, was it, when we started with Goras? Um, yeah, I guess today I wanted to talk about the journey, and particularly probably since I checked out, which is sort of back mid 2000s or whatever. But it was a yeah, we started with over there. I remember cleaning up a clearing sale for Ian and Lois Roberts and ended up coming home with a few goats. It was five on it, one weather and four four does, I think we started with, which was a joy to the parents. <laughs> yeah. Larry the weather, was it? Larry, yeah. And four, yeah, four does. And then went back and bought 20 of them, was it, at the clearing sale? Yeah, the clearing sale, yeah. And quickly bought bread out of the business, which yeah, luckily cut him out of the empire. But 25 bucks or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so from then I guess we got – Obviously messed around for a while and having Australian genetics, but then played around with Texan genetics. Um, had some pretty tough lessons, I suppose, around kid viability and trying to get them to look, trying to get them to grow. And then I guess the African genetics sort of when we really got a bit more excited. Yeah, it made it a lot easier for us. Um, and I suppose that uh, with a lot of our our stock being trying to be dual purpose, it was yeah, it was quite good to get that. Bit more robust into them. Yeah, I guess so. We're farming, or well, you're farming here in northwest Victoria in the Mallee. It's a fairly unforgiving summers with good winters and springs. I guess you've still got the Angoras and yeah, you're keen to understand how they fit into the farming system here and why you're still why you're still running them and, and see the value in them. So yeah, so do we think they work well within our business? Uh, there's obviously sheep cropping and a handful of cattle as well, but uh, it's quite good to run the sheep, uh, the goats beside the sheep and the cattle, weed management or or just general um, running them We're through the stubbles. It is a bit harsh in, in through the summers, but the, the goats do thrive in, in dry conditions. So as um, long as the fodder's there, it's all good. And since, I guess, back when I was around, we were getting, I don't know, sort of, 10 bucks for 11, 12 bucks for average, but the last few years it's been pretty handy, the, the fibre prices and the viability, particularly with the goat meat being hot for a while, but the uh, the combo now makes them a, yeah, not just that uh, complimentary enterprise just for what they eat, but also the money they make. So we're, we're selling our mohair locally um, through John Hallweg. Uh, that's how we... Uh, which we find good. We can market our mohair whenever we want. Um, John works in well with us to try and optimize the time. So if it's if it's not a has to be sold, it's um, he'll class it and then we decide when it gets sold. If we wait or we we proceed straight away, which quite often the way, but um, we have held off sometimes. But no, the the price is good. I think. The, uh, Kid that sold last sale was high forties, 
And yeah, I think the clip averaged close on 30 bucks the kilo, uh, which wouldn't have been, yeah, there was a lot of probably more adult I carried because of the weather, the goat meat price. We carried a lot more older weathers through, so we probably had a higher uh, micron clip than the last last sale than we probably usually do. Yeah, and obviously everything that we've got involved with, we get pretty heavily involved with genetics. So yeah, I guess we went to, we imported genetics sort of in the early 2000s and where you're up to now is it? sort of continue on with those lines with a bit of addition back in or so yeah we've decided we yeah as you said 2001 you went to africa um and yeah seen the buck so then we brought in embryos uh we had a couple of goes of bringing in embryos and then we we went back to the can four years ago and and re um used ai to bring out or to, to use some of the kwood home cedar grange animals to so that it give us a bit more scope, but all on the similar, similar lines or similar style of goats. So, but yeah, we so we got a, a four fresh bucks out of the can, if if you want to say that way, and and then we um, we're just mixing and matching as we go, trying to keep that dual purpose goat high fertility and um, and good moe. Yeah, we were pretty excited back in the day when we had. Manang Chief, who's named after a greyhound that our uncle Joe had raced, and yeah, pretty excited to see how he turned out. I remember that trip across to the AI centre with I don't know how many thousand bucks worth of genetics in the back of the trail, then getting lost on the way to South Australia. Yeah, <laughs> well and truly lost down some back road, but anyway, we got there in the end, so all was all was well. Yeah, it was great to uh, yeah, I guess great that injection of fresh genetics that hadn't come out from Africa, obviously lots of importations, but I think, I don't know, through mostly luck, I guess, we ended up with some pretty handy genetics that, that have that have done well. The um, I think in that it was a good timing for them goats to be brought into the industry because there was a time where people were probably looking for, for something different and that, that allowed the, um, a fresh gene pool to, to be used and I think there was a lot of, lot of uh, goat producers or or um, goat breeders that that really did um, probably kick them onto the next level and be able to use them genetics to the, their benefit. Yeah. I guess remembering those days of, sort of Texan versus African genetics, what are, what sticks in your memory as to the attributes of both? Yeah, no, we've got to be careful. We don't lose, lose all our fleece weight by going... Like the Africans, uh, the Texans definitely had weight in there, and 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 we had to use that, and we did use that because we we did keep it into our our doe line, and and we used it to our benefit. But we also wanted to have kids that were robust at birth, and and we didn't have to um, handle them as much. The the aim early on was to have them completely out doing it themselves, but um, we soon worked out that wasn't going to happen with that with the Texan that, that we purchased and um in the climate we kid in we have to kid sort of August to September usually um just with our management but uh yeah we just decided that wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work so that was probably a bit of a letdown for that side of it but um we felt that we could buy buy the uh Africans with purity and 
um, which they are renowned for, and and yeah, brought that into the to the flock. But yeah, we that the kidding days with pure um, uh, Texans, we we've soon worked out it wasn't going to work for us. No, I do remember them falling out and almost dropping dead on the spot. Yeah. Um, these days, where is kidding? What's how's that work? Is that out? And the paddock. Um, so yeah, we leave as much out as we possibly can, depending on weather, obviously. So um, daughters come home recently to the farm to help in uh, in all different aspects. She enjoys, really enjoys the kidding, so that's probably been palmed off onto her. She does the early morning checks, and if they're strong, they just get ear tagged and left in the paddock. If they've got an issue or Mum's got three or whatever. We we try and look after look after them and bring them in to the to the sheds for as short amount of time as possible, and then they're kicked out and live their life to the fullest. Um, can you see a future where we get the jags right, where that like they are more like a a lamb, I suppose, where you can and there are people out there doing it, obviously. So it's and you think some of these genetics are doing it. So it's just getting that combination right. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things that have got to come into play and it with probably uh, shelters and stuff. We haven't got a lot of in the, in the open paddocks where we crop and that's probably our fault more than anything, um, but just doesn't sort of suit what we're doing to, to go around things with boom sprays and um, air seeders. So it's probably they've uh, they come into closer paddocks when they're kidding, but it, we try and run them throughout the farm where they have to be used or they're to be used to our advantage as much as where the fodder is. But so yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a tough one. If we'd probably if we could set something up or kid a bit later, we might be right. But the way we're set up, that's not going to happen. So um we've probably just got to persevere with where we're going and, and try and keep buying them or ear tagging bucks, which we are doing, but kids that are really strong at birth and and just trying to get mineral management and all that stuff, um, make sure that's all 100% and then, yeah, let the rest off to to the um, weather. Yeah. What sort of – obviously it is a, an extensive cropping farm, maybe, I don't know, a couple of thousand hectares or more under management. Yeah, so it's yeah, pretty hard out here to have fenced into nice 15 hectare paddocks or whatever. It's all – basically fence for cropping and, and so they integrate well. Do you see potential where the mower industry in Australia could be significant like it is in South Africa? I'd, I'd like to think it is and I'd like to th- – I think the biggest – our biggest issue on it, it's not only in goats, it's in all aspects of running livestock as, as shearers and, and, and farmhands that are happy to work, work with stock this area is – getting harder and harder for that and I just yeah, I'm not sure I think that's probably our biggest hold back in Australia right across the board from all livestock producing so yeah that's probably my my take on that but I like unfortunately that's what that's where we live and that's what's going on but um, from the actual animal side of it there's no reason why it couldn't be as big if not bigger than in than in Af- the Africans that we talked to when we we're over there they all said that the, the we've got huge potential in in our climate and and in the amount of fodder we've got throughout the the Australia, but it just yeah, there's a few things holding us back. Yeah, 
we did that trip in South Africa, which was which was opened our eyes on lots of fronts. A bit of gastro, a bit of, uh, but also some awesome goats. Uh, you follow the, the industry pretty closely still over there. It'd be exciting to get back there and, and see what they're up to. It's it's always awesome to see like Facebooks or social media. It's obviously big, but it's yeah, it's great to see some of the videos. I think they've done it a bit better this year in Africa. I think it's um, they've sent out a lot more of the ram tours and some of the rams on offer or bucks on offer. Yeah, it's exciting to see what they've done, what they're doing over there. Yeah, I'd love to get back over and and have a look through them again, but it's um, made it hard with protocols and stuff to bring stuff back. So sort of does, uh, but, yeah, it does make it harder. Yeah. When we look at those genetics and we'll talk to some Africans on this podcast as well to, to hear from them directly, but from what I'm seeing, they're, they're contending to open up the heads and, yeah, I guess be careful with that fibre balance and trying to get that fibre or fleece weight to body weight ratio right, which is where the Texans went wrong. And, yeah, so they do seem to be sort of rattling pretty hard towards a commercially viable animal that would work here. Yeah, it sort of certainly looks like that off just off photos. it's There's some good light, like you can see it on the, on the face, on the muzzle and on the ears, it's purity's there and then just the fleece from front to back's probably got better. From when we were there, there might have been a few stronger fronts perhaps when we done our tour, but from the photos that I can see now and that's all I'm going on, so it's a bit bit harsh on them probably, but from the photos or the videos that I've seen, the the fibre looks like it's a lot more even than now through the through the whole club, the year level. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the Velt Rams are coming up soon, and they're starting to get videos of them, which is which is good to see because they've obviously haven't had as much love as as the others that we've already seen. So that's 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 exciting too for them. Yeah, that's something that we need to continue to consider here. That the Velt Ram clubs where they basically chuck them in a paddock and let them do it, and then yeah. and then right. get them back in and sell them at the end of it, rather than sort of letting individuals prepare their their bucks. It's obviously for it's got some lots of merit. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting if we start getting closer to that here. does take, yeah, the preparation out of the game, so which does can be used pretty heavily in the, the GOAT game. So I think it's it's a it's a good way of doing things. Yeah, I guess I credit my interest in breeding to that early days in Angoras about uh, whatever it was, three or four years after that, we decided we were going to start breeding old horses for mum and dad or whatever. I can't remember what our theory was, but you've obviously continued on that, then moved into White Suffolk, so significant ram breed these days uh, with plenty of old horses, White Suffolk, and now Ultra White's produced. Yeah, so to 1993, we bought the sheep off Lod and Lee, bought five ewes there, which probably was uh, another steep learning key, uh, learning curve and got taken for a ride, I suppose you'd say. But then uh, you yeah, got involved with Doug Russell and, and Ian Bucknell and, and really helped us probably as two younger breeders. They took us under their wing or give us good advice early on, which, yeah, definitely helped us. Or I said, has it helped me um, become a, a breeder and and going forward and just, yeah, as you said before, learning genetics and, and what's going to work and what's not, not going to work, then two blokes really did probably help us out a lot. Yeah, set us up a bit at the start. 
yeah, I guess those fundamentals of I think we both approach the same. The fundamentals of structure and type and and just getting getting the basics right was something that we learnt early on from those sort of people and from just being around the industry and I think even people like Boots who was big on his back ends and stuff. We sort of it's interesting when you think back how how you put together all of your ideas around breeding animals and all those people that have helped guide you along the way. A bit brawn in his hands. So, you know, <laughs> it definitely has been. It's been great and it's been, um, I don't know, it's probably not huge in some people's eyes and maybe not yours, but the showing rings, um, it's been good for us not only um, get our sheep out there but just to bang ideas off other people and it's a good place to catch up with people and it's not very probably not a very profitable thing to be doing, showing goats or sheep, but it's always good to get them there and have a look around. Yeah, I think what the sheep industry's done well or the meat sheep industry's done well is combine the the data with the – so these days there's not that many sheep. Well, there are some, but there's a lot of sheep there that have got all the information available plus have been taken to show. So it's kind of – there's definitely a place where you get best of both worlds and, and I think you're right there. It's all about learning and as long as you approach it in that way, it's not about – if it's about the community and about the learning, it's a really good thing to do. If it's about who gets the ribbon and, and everyone thinking that's the best animal on the day, is probably that's probably where the detriments have, has come from that side of the industry, but certainly the community and the, the learning and particularly for youth, like young people coming through, the opportunity to learn from those around them and learn the, the basics. It's, it's a place where they get to be excited about livestock and as you mentioned before, that's not – a big feature of regions like this where you, there's no one you can you're not going to bump into anyone in the pub in Hopeton that's passionate about breeding livestock very often <laughs> the, no. uh, whereas and so getting away and getting into those getting into those groups of people that yeah, is, is massive and I guess particularly you you look back well both of us really you look back and most of your sort of mates that aren't very local are all mates through through breeding something yeah yeah no it's huge that way but it is it is good, like the, as you said, the showing side of it. There's a lot more. A lot of the studs are onto it now, so it's the, the percentage is a lot higher now than it was three, four, five years ago. So data's there, and we can use it to our advantage. I don't know if you want to answer this question, but of all the things you do, which one's the most exciting? Breeding rams, breeding goats, breeding commercial merinos, growing crop. I don't think that'll rank in the top. No, it's not very high. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the ones we've got to do, um, and we're yeah always striving to do better. But it's it's a part of the. If you ask ninety percent of me mates, it's, it's I'm totally opposite to them. That they love their crops, but no, I don't know. Like it's it's a hard question. I think probably it's a toss up in between the polies and the goats. But no, I, I love seeing a good goat. They bring probably see it these days as as me hobby like um probably i don't yeah i don't know like it's a the passion about both of them um and the rest just tick along beyond them but no the, the goats are definitely well and truly up there and enjoy the the challenge of making them better and and working along beside them yeah it's a hard question yeah it is and even even just getting back here and having a flip through those bucks the other day or yesterday the yeah, it is something that I probably thought I'd moved on and moved into the Merino game and all the other stuff that we do, but still I think, yeah, the, the thing that runs closest to the heart, I reckon, is the Ingores just because that's where we – and just seeing a good, good, well put together buck that we sort of 
could only dream of when we started with those Australian genetics with Larry and whoever they were, <laughs> Wonga Barra, yeah. somebody, and yeah, um, and Magnus and the Luke, yeah. the whole yeah. crew, Ronald, um, Ronald, <laughs> Ronald Magnus or something. Yeah, that's right. So um, back then, when we were looking at camp and color and just yeah, versus what what you put together now is yeah, it's just miles apart, and that's pretty yeah. I think yeah, and I guess that's the point of this this podcast and this. This project that we're doing for AgriFutures is to try and ignite the, the opportunity in, in goat fibre in Australia because there's plenty of regions likes about here where where in some years cropping is is marginal and and there's well there's the the value in having a couple of different enterprises and um and the complementarity of of an angora that or um that will eat stuff that a sheep might not eat first and and yeah just different where they graze is different what they do is different and the way they interact is different it's um yeah it's quite yeah apart from that probably that one one little harvesting issue of getting that that fiber off is where the, mm. the real issue is yeah no for sure and we use it to our advantage and if hay isn't up to it and stock won't eat it we just give it to the goats because they will we've used grain that wasn't yeah it's secondary grain and from the silos and stuff and no one wanted it and you tip it out to them and they thrive on it. So it's, yeah, they've definitely got a place and and um, it's, yeah, it's good to be able to utilise everything. One thing I guess in the higher rainfall areas is is parasite management and obviously in a really wet year that is an issue here but the beauty of running them out here is that they're, they are in their element when it's dry and, and not, not having to worry too much about, about worms and stuff. No, we're pretty lucky like the... Um, from that side of it, most of the stuff gets drenched here once a year if they need it or not, sort of thing. But they, we are that side of it's good, and they do thrive in the drier, drier sides. We don't um, haven't done toenails for years, and every now and again there might be one come through at shearing time. You trim up, but as a collective, we don't do it. We we try and breed away from that, um, just trying to be commercial, commercially as focused as possible with them. But still trying to have that that animal that's there to to uh, compete in any any ring we go in. Yeah, I guess the other real battle with sheep is fire strike. Whereas I know the years that I've been here, we are hardly there's the odd one that was really 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 filthy. You might have got flies for a bit, but not really. It's just it's just a non-event. Yeah, no, it's non-event. We I'd say we had one kid. Last year, when we'd probably was a real bad year for it, but and it was yeah, not really an issue. It's the as soon as it was seen, it was tidied up and yeah, hadn't even really affected it. It was just that yeah, they fall out. They can't stay in the in the fibre, so they fall out. Yeah, it's a yeah, it kind of has to be seen to be believed. But I've never seen them actually dig into an angora like no. the odd time when they'll run on the surface. But so yeah, that's a something that. Is another another plus for them. big positive. I guess the other thing that we like about them is the just that we know it's going to a specialty market. It's a luxury fibre. It's it's yeah, one of the one of those real unique fibres, animal fibres in the world. So it's kind of at some degree, it's awesome seeing just through through Africa and through the things that we interact with the the product, the end product, and see where it's going. Yeah, it was. Good to go through that, like the shops over there, which was all Moet products. It was, yeah, really, really good. Probably don't get the chance to do that here and definitely not in Hopeton, but 
yeah, and wearing the socks and and all that was, yeah, they're really good good product to use. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so JC's back home, and obviously Umez are flat out farming. So there's a so where do you see you'll be still running the old Orsets, ultra whites, white suffix, and and Angoras? Is that and Angus cattle now? Is that yeah? So Jace is sick of the small animals, so she decided she'd buy some Angus, which was as uh, dad and mum give us the opportunity when we were however we were when we were uh, ten and twelve or whatever we were. When she come to us and said that that's something she might be keen on doing, we were pretty open to the idea. We didn't know that it would last very long, but um, we're prepared to buy a few cows. So she's up to 23, 23 head now, which is which is good, and selling the odd bull, which is good for her. And um, yeah, I'm not sure where that'll end up, but anyway, that's that's all good. But share now the sheep side of things. We'll just keep. Her refining that and and working out our numbers i'm not sure this year obviously we've sold most of them we've got a handful of rams left but most of them are sold so but we'll just as going forward we'll reassess that and i'd pretty much say the numbers will come back a little bit on that and probably pump our commercials up a bit more just because a few blokes going out of the area out of sheep and and whatnot but no so yeah that it's probably where i see that happening yeah. Um, so yeah, so mum and dad are still on the farm, which is which is good. Mum probably would rather be in the caravan. Dad's happy spraying and doing what he does. But um, so yeah, Mez and myself and Jason and that on the farm. Yeah, I guess I think I mentioned every opportunity I get, but we were very very fortunate to, for mum and dad to pretty much I think by the time we we're probably mid teens, we owned all the livestock on the farm. And we're happy to take the income from it as well. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, very lucky. To, very lucky that Dad would be much rather out there spraying something than than in the sheep yards or, or working with goats. So it was um, probably a win-win. But yeah, awesome that they gave us that opportunity to to really. Yeah, like I don't think they were very good at saying no. Sometimes like they, we we got to do whatever we want, and um, well, not everyone, but whatever we want on the livestock front. But it was a massive opportunity when you look back. Yeah, and it's probably lit the fire for in the, in our bellies for what you're doing today and what I do today. Like it's um, that early opportunity is yeah priceless. Mm, yeah, hundred percent. All right, we better go and see if the the lakes calm so we can have a water ski or something. But um, yeah, thanks very much for having a having a chat and getting it recorded. And uh, and we look forward to seeing where Mallee Park, Angora's, Pole Dorset's, White Suffix, Ultra Whites and Angus cattle yeah. get to in the future. No, all good. Thank you for your time and uh, thanks for what you're doing for the industry. It's, it's um, very important that we get back out there and, and promote what we're doing. So thank you. Cheers. Well, that's it for today's episode of The Fibre Frontier. If you liked it, make sure you share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. If you get a moment to like and review, that would be fantastic. This helps the message go wider. Quick reminder, if you haven't already discovered the Goat Fibre Gateway, it's the home of all things fibre goats and a great place to find information, whether you've been doing it for 50 years or you're just thinking about getting into it. Links to the Gateway are in the show notes. We'll see you next episode.